welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. Now this is episode 8 of the show, and in this episode I interview Scott Laysath, who is the sporting chef, about cooking your wild turkey. Now before we get into that, I want to ask all of you that are listening to please go on your laptop, go on your desktop, your tablet, your telephone, and go to huntingandfishing.nationwide.com and I want you to go there and scroll down about halfway down the screen and there are a series of boxes there. It's about seven of them and there is a box that says save the habitat, save the hunt, NWTF. Click on that box and then down below that is a capture code. Enter the capture code and vote your vote will help the NWTF to win $45,000 if they have the most votes. And the organizations that do not win will receive $30,000 that will be split among the six other organizations. So please go to huntingandfishing.nationwide.com, scroll down, click on the box that says Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt, and vote today so that you can help the NWTF get $45,000 from Nationwide Insurance. That's very important. And actually this contest is going to run from July the 21st to October the 13th. You're allowed one vote per day per device that you have. So if you have a tablet, a laptop, a desktop, and a telephone, that's four votes. And please go every day and vote for the NWTF. I think that $45,000 would go a long way to help further our sport that we love and the NWTF does amazing work with the money that they are able to raise so please do your part to support them in that case. Right now getting back to Scott Laysath. In part one of my interview with Scott he's going to tell us how he got into cooking. He's going to give us rule number one to cooking wild game and he's going to tell us how to prepare our turkey from the shot all the way to the pot. So let's jump right into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And I am pleased to have Scott Laseth with me today. Scott, hopefully I pronounced your last name correctly. Sure. Scott is known as the sporting chef because Scott is not just an amazing chef, but he's a fisherman and a hunter as well. Scott is an expert on the proper way to prepare game and fish. 
He's the author of two cookbooks. The first is The Sporting Chef's Favorite Wild Game Recipes, and the second is The Sporting Chef's Better Venison Cookbook. And that cookbook is currently the number one venison book on Amazon. Scott has been cooking editor for Ducks Unlimited magazine since 2007 and writes for a number of other publications as well. He also spent four years on HGTV's Homegrown with Paul James, and he is the host of The Sporting Chef and Dead Meat television programs, which air on the Sportsman Channel. I first met Scott in Birmingham when a good friend of mine, Todd Harrell, hired Scott to do a cooking demonstration for several of Todd's clients. Scott demonstrated cooking techniques and prepared several different wild game dishes that evening. Among the game that he fixed for us were quail, venison, rabbit, pheasant, turkey, and a couple of different types of fish. I was really impressed with several things that evening. First and foremost, the dishes that you prepared, Scott, they they were incredible. I mean, some of the best dishes I've ever had, not just wild game dishes, but dishes in general. Really and truly, I would say I kind of expected that from a professional chef. <laughs> But I'd never experienced wild game prepared so perfectly and that was so delicious. Second thing that impressed me so much is the dishes that you prepared used ingredients that were readily available at pretty much any grocery store and the ingredients were affordable as well. I know a lot of cookbooks throw out some wild ingredients that parts of the country or parts of the world you can't find. So your recipes don't have that. The third thing that impressed me is each dish you prepared was cooked in about five minutes or less which is a great thing in today's hectic society. The fourth thing that blew me away is I was impressed by your friendliness, Scott, and your willingness to share information with everyone that was there so that they could all enjoy the same quality meals that you were demonstrating. And that, to me, was kind of the icing on the cake. So, Scott, thank you for joining us. How are you today? You know, I'm good, and I appreciate that. Those those are very kind words. And you know, it's never been my goal to out-chef anyone. And, you know, to me, a, re- a cookbook that's full of obscure ingredients that nobody has readily available, very, very few people are going to use anyway. If right. if you can throw something in a skillet and with a handful of normal ingredients, and to me, you know, no reason to buy canned vegetables or cream of mushroom soup or any of that kind of stuff. Get fresh in-season vegetables, maybe a little butter and some wine or whatever. Throw it in a skillet and get out of there in five or ten minutes, and it's going to taste really good. And and I've all too often heard people say, man, here's what I do with my duck. I will marinate it in blah, blah, blah and wrap it in jalapeno and bacon, and they'll say, you know what? It doesn't even taste like duck as if that's, <laughs> as if that's a victory. Right. So yeah, I like I like my my game to taste like it's supposed to, and and I openly share my recipes. And um, to me, it makes me feel really good when I come back to a place somewhere in the country the next year, and people that were throwing away their, or that were uh, giving away their ducks and geese and deer because they didn't like the flavor of it, um, are now saying, you know what, I don't have enough of it now, and I'm not giving it away anymore. Yeah, and that's, you know, something that I think years ago, you know, I, I was giving mine away, my venison anyway, because first of all, I, you know, would have quite a bit of it, but I was giving it away because I couldn't prepare it in a manner that I could eat it, 
but my wife wouldn't eat it. Sure. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to cook a hind quarter and have a hind quarter would feed me for a month. Right. So to prepare that that much meat was just really a waste. So I would give a great deal of it away. And but now, you know, I've I've started processing it myself, putting it in smaller portions to where and and my wife eats it now because I've learned how to prepare it partly because of you. Thank you. And so she's eating it, uh, processing it, putting it in smaller portions, able to store it, pull out only what we're going to use in one or two meals, including leftovers, and we move on. So yeah, that's, you're exactly right. It's a shame to think that, and I don't, I don't think that any of the meat that I ever gave away went to waste, Right. but I know it didn't go to waste if I use it. Well, and you know, and with, you know, for instance, with that deer hindquarter, Way too many people send it to the processor and they say, turn it all into sausage or burger. I just want the back straps and the tenderloins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know those, if you take that hind quarter and like you say, if you, if you part it out and you remove just the muscle and get rid of all that silver skin and all the other funky stuff, then I'm telling you, I throw that on a grill, cook it medium rare, slice it across the grain like a London broil, and people very often say, man, this backstrap is delicious. Right. They don't know the difference. No. So tell us a little bit about how you first got into cooking. When did you realize that you had a passion for cooking? You know, my parents would make the mistake of they'd, they'd go away for a week when I was in high school and leave me with the house. Now, I have a 17-year-old now, and I know better than that. But I would have, I I mean, I wouldn't recognize, you know, I would pull in the court and go, man, I hope the house isn't on fire. But (laughs) I, uh, I, people, you know, people would come over and I'd, I'd cook for them. Um, It's, you know, it's an artistic expression and I've always hunted and fished. And I remember bringing home my first game bird and it was a a jack snipe that I killed somewhere in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. I grew up in Virginia and, um, I cooked it for about an hour and a half until it was about the size of a garbanzo bean. And it was absolutely horrible tasting. It was dry, livery, but I wouldn't let on to my two older brothers that, um, that this wasn't right. I said, right. man, this is delicious. And my dad was an Alabama farm boy. My dad grew up in Granby, Alabama. And, you know, I thought that ducks tasted like liver because he'd stuff them with apples and oranges and wild rice and who knows what and all that does is really just prolong the cooking time ruins a perfectly good batch of wild rice and he would cook it till it turns gray and i'm thinking there's got to be a better way as much as i like shooting doves and ducks and everything else it was my goal to figure out how to make these things taste better and in my formative years i'd like to have a few meals back that i had served people and and say you know what i've learned now that there's a better way and so cooking has always been a passion. I went, went to school in Arizona and learned a lot about Southwestern cuisine there, and I'd feed everybody. And when people come over to my house now, I just open the refrigerator, look what's in the pantry, and they just sit at the counter and I throw food at them, kind of like what you saw when I cooked in Birmingham. Right, which is quite an experience. Uh, I've, I've never been exposed to anything like that, so it was pretty eye-opening for me. So you you really kind of cut your teeth cooking wild game. Oh, sure. Your cooking teeth. Well, and, you know, I have a degree in psychology. So what do you do with that? You know, I was working as a bouncer when I was finishing school, and they said, 
Well, we could send you from Tucson to Phoenix to work in the Phoenix store, and but we're going to give you a two-week training course on how to be a bartender, manager, and cook. And I stayed with that company for eight or nine years, ended up being vice president of the company, and then I owned my own restaurant, and it was not a well-planned career path, but cooking and food and beverage has always been a large part of my life, and yeah. and I really enjoy it, and I love doing the thing like you're talking about where i got a group of people there, and I'm just saying, try this, try this, try this, try this, and they go, and just seeing the looks on their face where they say, man, this is really good, and they'll say, what'd you marinate that in? I'm going nothing it's a raw piece of meat i just look at it it's here it is it's raw piece of meat throw it in a pan dump a couple things on it and rule number one do not overcook it do not overcook it that is absolutely rule number one and i think you know a lot of people seem to get scared even more scared of wild game being undercooked than they do the meat that they buy at the grocery store but you know where the wild game has been from the time you squeeze the trigger until the time you put the knife through it to cut it to, you know, to put it on your fork. Right. So I don't really understand where that fear comes from of people with the undercooked meat of their wild game. But maybe you think it has something to do with bacteria or just the fact I, that... I, just, I don't think people know, you know, and, and the press has made us so afraid of our food now. Worry about your chicken. Chickens are raised right. right next to each other, crammed into very small containers. And even the free-range chickens, it's not like they're running up a hillside chasing crickets. They're, they're, they're only six weeks old anyway when, when we eat them. And so, right. you know, we don't shoot three-legged deer with mange. If we happen to shoot a turkey and it's got some green on it, we don't eat the green part. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, we, yeah. we can be, when we, especially when we process it ourselves, we know that we're not smearing feces under our ground meat. We'll take a deer hind quarter and break it down to make sure it's nice and clean. Then we might throw some of that into the grinder and make our own burger with that. It's not made at some processing plant with questionable sanitation practices. It's, you know, if a duck has flown back and forth from Canada a time or two, that's a pretty healthy animal. <laughs> you know, it's fat tastes good. You know, that, that duck that you get in a restaurant, I often have people say, well, duck's really greasy. And I'm going, the restaurant duck is really greasy because it hadn't done a whole lot of work. But, uh, you know, there's nothing greasy about a, about a mallard. Even a big, fat mallard, you render that skin down on the skin side down, and you're going to get some fat out of it. But it's nothing in compared to that half, three-quarter inch of fat you get on a, on a farm-raised duck. Well, you are an expert on preparing wild game to cook it, and since it's a turkey show, I'm going to focus on turkey, but if, if something comes up and you think, well, this is great to mention about duck, or this is great to mention about venison, or pheasant, or quail, or whatever, please throw it in there, because I doubt anyone listening to this show only hunts turkeys. Yeah, most so, of us that shoot turkeys are shooting something else too so i'm that's, with you that's exactly right so let's start with really the early preparation stages so what should i do from the moment that i squeeze the trigger and drop the turkey or release the bowstring and drop the turkey what should i do to ensure that i'm going to have the freshest best tasting piece of meat that i can have well as with any animal you know and if, if we're shooting turkeys in the spring which is when we shoot most of them it's warm it's not you know, there's not a whole lot of snow on the ground in most places, and 
we're out, I live in Northern California, and our season usually starts towards the end of March, goes into about a week into May. So we've got about six weeks, mostly Rios here, and you can't put it in the back of your truck and drive around with it all day long. I mean, if you could imagine your chicken processor shooting a bunch of chickens and throwing them in the back of the truck and driving them around, you know, that's the stuff that you'd see on 2020. That's, that's a bad idea. So we know, we've been told that you need to get any game cleaned and cooled as soon as you possibly can. And, and we've all had turkeys that we've mishandled that tasted just fine. But there's mm-hmm. also, you're going to get a turkey every now and then that goes, that just tastes a little off. So why not give it its best chance? When I'm in the field, I'm going to gut it, rinse it. I'll have clean water, and I'm going to put some ice in that cavity, just like I do a deer, and I'm going to throw it into a cooler. I'm saving room in my cooler for that turkey to get it home, get it cleaned, get it cooled, and it's going to make a difference. That's the meat part of it. I like to leave room in my cooler for a turkey because when I come home and, that, and I still have room in the cooler, I'm a little bit disappointed. It gives me a little <laughs> bit more motivation to get out there and get after them again the next day. So, True. yeah, no, I, I think that if you don't have room in the cooler for one, bring an extra cooler. Get you another cooler, right. Absolutely. When I kill the turkey and I get it back to the camp or wherever it is and, and cleaned and cooled as quickly as possible, if I'm not going to cook that turkey right away, and I decide to freeze it, are there some tips that you can give us on how to freeze it to make sure that we don't ruin the meat in the freezer? Obviously, leaving it in there for a long period of time is a bad thing, but are there other tips that you can give me that would help? Well, I I freeze mine in parts. I don't freeze a whole turkey because I don't cook a whole turkey. The breasts cook quickly. I don't take a turkey and put it into a slow cooker with a can of cream of mushroom soup. To me, you're going to have a turkey that tastes just like cream of mushroom soup. The legs and thighs, I mean, that drumstick on those wild turkeys, you can still you can cook for a week or so and still beat somebody over the head with it. I mean, these guys run. If, you try, if you've ever tried to catch a wild turkey, you can't, right? You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't, can't. I've tried. I mean, as a kid, we, we would try and catch up with them. I mean, we've all spotted and stalked turkeys, but... Really, they're infinitely better runners than we are. So, why cook a whole turkey? And you know, like we talk about other animals, I don't. I never cook a whole duck. Legs and thighs on these birds, on the turkeys, need to be cooked slowly. Um, they need to be braised in order to get that meat tender with all that sinew that's in there. Um, it takes a long time to make those thighs edible, whereas the breast can be cooked very quickly. You know, you marinate them, you slap them on a grill. You don't need to wrap them in bacon, but everything in bacon tastes pretty good. Um, yeah. And you cook it until it's still just a little bit pink on the inside. So I make more room in my freezer. My turkey, I, but I don't waste any part of that bird. You're going to make more room in your freezer if you freeze legs and thighs, one section. you got the breast fillets in another. And when I get enough turkey carcasses, that's when I make turkey stock, turkey soup. I'll roast them just like you do with a Thanksgiving turkey, put it into a big stock pot with water, whatever, and make the stock. And we can get into that later if you want. But yeah. my, the number one tip on the freezing part to me is freeze it in parts. And I am a big, big fan 
of a good vacuum packing unit. I use Food Saver. I have for 20 plus years. Um, it's a very good investment for anybody that cooks because it's going to make your game last longer. And if you happen to get a piece of, if, if later on you get a turkey breast that has a little freezer burn on it, you can just cut that freezer burn part off. But that's not going to happen if it's properly packaged in a uh, vacuum packaging unit. I hope you enjoyed part one of episode eight, my interview with Scott Laysath on cooking wild turkey. And please be sure to tune in next week where Scott's going to actually share some recipes with us, tell us about the perfect cooking temperature for the wild turkey breast, and how to cook turkey legs and thighs so that they do not taste like a chunk of leather. And if you like the information that Scott shared with us today, he has cookbooks that are for sale on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon, look up Scott Laysath, The Sporting Chef. There are a couple of cookbooks on the site there that you can purchase. Also, be sure to visit SportingChef.com for free turkey recipes and catch Scott on Sporting Chef TV on the Sportsman Channel. If you would like to contact Scott for a demo, if you got a corporate event or any type of organization like that that you'd like to, for Scott to come out and do a demo, you can reach him at 916-351-1079 or you can email him at scott at sportingchef.com. Scott at sportingchef.com. And before I let you go this week, I'd like to thank Scott Gasparro who sent me an email with some recommendations for some show topics. And you know, that really helps me out when you guys will let me know what you want to listen to. That keeps me a little bit more in tune, gives me some ideas on what I can do to help you guys be better turkey hunters. And so please don't hesitate to reach out to me if you've got some ideas. I would certainly love to hear them. You can reach me at andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. Andy at IamTurkeyHunting.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your feedback on the show as well as any type of topics that you'd like for me to cover in upcoming episodes. So thank you very much for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you next week and I hope you have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.